Iowa's News Now Sports brings you black and gold glory. Your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks. You know, a lot of talk about 200 uh, the last couple days, and uh, I could throw out a number two also, and uh, that would be two as in losses to Western Michigan since I've been here. So kind of give a little perspective here about, you know, what what our chore is this week. That's about as Kirk Ferentz as it gets, folks. 200 wins now in his head coaching career and still hung up on things from 2000 and 2007. Welcome to Eye on the Hawks pre-Western Michigan edition. Mitch Fick with Owen Sebring and Mike Howell. yeah, apparently the scars are still uh, a plenty from 16 years ago, a loss to Bill Cubitt's squad there at Kinnick in 2007 to the Broncos that made the Hawkeyes 6-6, six and six, one of uh, only a couple of times in the last 20 years that Iowa didn't make a bowl game. They were bowl mm-hmm. eligible, did not uh, go to a bowl game after that 07 season. Final thoughts uh, as we start. We'll wrap up just thoughts on that Cyhawk win on Saturday at Jack Trice. I don't know if we touched on this on the podcast on Sunday, but prior to the Cyhawk game, we talked all about that this year's special teams battle was a little yeah. bit more significant between Iowa and Iowa State, and Iowa came out <laughs> opening drive literally and exerted their special teams dominance by blocking that field goal. And so this is a Iowa special teams unit that is is what it has been in the past. Yep, it was, uh, and of course, a couple field goals for Drew Stevens uh, as well. So that is where we are as we head into Western Michigan, and maybe the the biggest news of the week so far in terms of uh, just health and whatnot. Cade McNamara says for the first time since going down at that kids' day scrimmage, he's just feeling as good as he can. Of course, missed a couple weeks at camp because of that that quad injury. He uh, has been catching up to make up for the lost camp time. Maybe now coming into Western Michigan with two weeks made up, maybe where we were all expecting him to be going into Utah State in that opener. He's uh, hasn't had the completion percentage that maybe people were expecting. Of course, was in the the low to mid 60s during that championship run in 2021 at Michigan. He's around 56% right now, but been a little banged up, still trying to make uh, some chemistry work with all the weapons on this Hawkeye offense. But here's Cade uh, yesterday talking with the media, just talking about how good he's feeling now heading into week three of the season. It's feeling really good. I mean, this is the most healthy I've felt in a month. So this will be my first full practice, first full week of practice of not missing anything and participating in everything. So, I mean, I'm excited to just be fully back in and it's a relief. That, that's what should get Hawkeye fans, I think, more excited than anything else that back fully at practice, not missing anything. We've talked so much and I'm sure we'll touch on this show about how they're just steps away from busting out some big plays and so the fact that he's able to be 100% into practice that could be a scary offensive thought if you're Iowa it's I think it's the biggest news of the season so far that Cade McNamara is 100% healthy again this is a guy who and he touched on this a little bit just asked answering questions about his journey back to getting healthy and then getting hurt a little bit banged up you know he was at a point nine, ten months ago where his biggest focus was, I just want to be able to bend my knee 60 degrees. You know, it, people have talked about the offense isn't looking exactly like people were hoping it would. You know, I think they just thought gangbusters across the board and that everything was going to be different. He just hasn't had a ton of time to practice within the structure of the Hawkeye football program because he's been recovering from a surgery and then coming back and hurting the quad, missing a couple weeks, and now kind of, you know, not 100% in practice. The reason some of that timing might be a little off, and we'll talk about just how close they are to getting that offense to click, he just hasn't had the, the reps 
Uh-huh. I think that's been huge, and I don't think you can really understate how important just getting that timing is for a guy who's coming into a no program. And yeah, they spent time on on the West Coast and and getting acquainted, just knowing each other, each other as human beings over the last handful of months, and that's certainly important. But if you're not out there going through the reps and running the routes and making the throws, it's tough to make that a uh, really blast off on game day. I have to think to based on the press conference that we were in. I forget exactly the number of years that Cade said, but he talked about how since he'd been injured, that's the first time in, what was it, 15 years or something, something like, like that. That, that he, he hadn't been able to play or do anything, really. he hadn't play, you know, basically on a uh, regular basis throughout the week. You know, maybe not every day, but uh, maybe five days a week or something. And so that just says a lot about how much I'm sure he has missed the game of football. And you've spoken about how excited he seems to be out there, excited in the post-game press conference. I'm sure that lends a lot to that, the fact that he's had to sit out so much over the last year plus, and now he's back there and he's just enjoying being being back as a football player again. He's had so much non-football stuff to worry about, related to football, but you know, j- just trying to get healthy. Again, just the, the simple thing of trying to bend your knee all the way, that yeah, he's, he's on cloud nine right now, and it's been really cool to see that. People have talked about you know, it's it's obvious he's he's hurt. I think a lot of the fact that this happened in front of six thousand people at Kinnick at an open scrimmage. We've talked about that a little bit uh, of just the the starkness that can kind of seep into your your thoughts and your analysis of things. People have talked about well, he, he's clearly hurt out there. I really didn't as as well as he was able to move, and we'll talk about the the O line and its pass protection the last the last couple of weeks as well. He didn't really look hurt even when he moved around a little bit. At least to me, maybe I'm I'm viewing things through black and gold colored glasses was like, yeah, he looked all right. Like if I didn't know that he had been hurt, if I didn't watch it happen, I wouldn't have noticed. What I noticed was, yeah, timing's a little off. And I think that's the big thing that when you're looking at it, like something's off about the offense. They're better, but what's missing, I think it's two weeks of practice in August that now has been made up for going into September. So hopefully that will be the key to getting that offense to get really where we're waiting for them to see. That was a big storyline talking with players and with coach Ferens yesterday of just this offense is right there whether it's a step a block whatever it may be the fans seem to see that the media seems to see that the players say they see it too like I keep saying, like as we keep practicing, as we keep doing it, it's all gonna come for us. And uh, like you're saying, it's so it's such a small it's such a small misses, it's such small assignments, and that play a bigger role in things. But we know that if we handle those situations, and we've been working hard and like watching film and trying to get those things, then at the practice, getting different catches, getting different situations to make sure that when we're in that situation again, it goes the way we want it to go. I think this is hopefully the week that we all lock in, and we, you know, it's usually like one guy making a mistake. You know what I'm saying? That's how like the offense is. On defense, you could have one guy make a play, and it's a good play for the defense, right? On offense, you could have just one guy not do his job, and it screws up the play for everybody. So just getting everybody on the same page is, is what we need, and I think we're close to getting it, and we're going to keep pushing and working our asses off to get there, and I'm, I'm super optimistic about this offense. I definitely do think we're continuing to take steps. Um, I mean, I think one of the biggest things that we were talking about after our first week was just kind of stuff that we can control. And I think, you know, we had a lot of false starts the first week. We had some, you know, stuff that was in our control that we didn't do a very good job of. And, you know, we were able to clean all all that up in the the second week. And um, I also thought we did a really good job of, you know, I thought we ran the ball really well, too. So, you know, I think now we're just trying to put the pieces together. I think we're really close. 
Yeah, everyone feels it. I think everyone sees it. And again, it's, you know, you heard from Deontay there. Deontay has one catch this year. We're expecting so much from him. He's mm -hmm. finally healthy. You know, there's that one little uh, misthrow to, to him from Cade that, you know, if that catches, that's a big play. The overthrow to Seth that even they come off the field and Brian Ferentz is looking at them, just like, yep, timing. Like, that's how it goes. You know, you, you, they're at least, there's a sense of relief. It almost feels of like, hey, we weren't, we were nowhere near hitting some of these bigger ones or having as many explosive plays as they do this year. They're ahead on explosive plays, offensive touchdowns, and yards. I think they feel it just like, hey, we're a few reps away from not even really needing to think about maybe, and maybe I'm simplifying it over uh, too much, but they, f they feel like they're right there. Mm -hmm. They really feel that. If anybody ever has any questions about why teams schedule out of conference, if you want to call them lower tier opponents from FCS or a group of five teams, this is, I think, a big reason why, because teams really are still cleaning things up over those first few weeks of the season. I, don't hear me wrong. I'm not referring to Iowa State in that way. They do not fall into that category. But Utah State and Western Michigan do fall into that category. And I think that, again, lends to why teams schedule them early so that if you're Iowa and have some misthrows, have some blocking things you're getting cleaned up, have Kate getting back to health, that's exactly why they have these games to start the season so that they can get those things cleaned up. When you get to week four against Penn State, you're hopefully firing on all cylinders. I think there's a big, uh, it can also be a big litmus test because as we've talked about, Iowa State's got a great defense. They looked really, really good. I mean, that secondary is one of the better secondaries in the entire country, led by TJ Tampa. Utah State threw a bunch of different stuff at them, and we heard kind of the, the things that were uh, presented to them. And again, it's week one, so you've, you're watching all this old tape on a team that's got 60 new transfers and a lot of, you know, everything has its own little challenges and variables that you can work to, uh, to improve on. And now you come in a Western Michigan team that, again, kind of the opposite of Utah State, lost a bunch of guys to the transfer portal that... Mm -hmm. I was going to end up seeing against Minnesota come uh, later later in October, hmm. um, and has a new coach there in Lance Taylor as well. But mentioned uh, Nico's bite of just you know one person, you know on offense, if they don't run the right route or block block gets mixed, missed, everything can kind of go haywire. The O line was such a huge huge focus coming into 2023. A young group last year, all that experience comes back. You bring in a couple transfers as well. The O-line has looked great, particularly in pass protection. I mean, they spring, spring the big run with, uh, with Jazz, and there were a few bigger chunk plays against Iowa State. But, I mean, there has been just a full rainbow around Cade at times in terms of pass protection. He's only been sacked twice. This is a unit that gave up three sacks a game uh, in 2022. Mm -hmm. Nick DeYoung was there, a guy that Kirk has talked about that can kind of plug in anywhere. He's one of the more experienced guys on this offensive line and has been a big part of the improvement. I asked him just what he has seen and uh, to evaluate where they are two games in that offensive line for Iowa. It's, you know, uh, just back it? to back to uh, fundamentals and, yeah, and no, you know, experience is, is definitely big too, but, um, you know, obviously that, that's an area that, you know, we weren't, we weren't the best at and, um, you know, everyone, everyone took that as, as something that, you know, we weren't going to accept anymore and, and set a new standard and, um, you know, obviously we still have however many more games. We have a game on Saturday, and so you know, we, I think the biggest thing is not being not being satisfied with you know you're two games in. You've had you know pretty good pass pro. Okay, yeah, we'll sit back because we we've done it now. Like you know, we're we're, we're every day coming out. Um, even if even if it it's pretty good, we're we're not satisfied. Sure. And I think that's even uh, furthered by the fact that 
you know, as we heard in the presser yesterday, Western Michigan's going to blitz quite a bit, mm-hmm. and uh, they've got five sacks already this year. So if there's if there's a, a true final non-con litmus test for this offensive line of, hey, you've had great pass protection, Broncos are going to throw a lot at you. So can you keep the pocket clean for a now healthy Cade and help him uh, get the ball out to the weapons he's looking for? Some people say that they they – they come pretty hard at the quarterback, uh, that Western Michigan front line does. According to things I've seen on Twitter, that's exactly... <laughs> I've heard uh, that. Well, yeah. yeah, this definitely is a, a what-do-we-have game, I yeah. think. you know, I think we all agree that Western Michigan might be one of the weakest opponents on Iowa's schedule. They're young, man. They're um, just, again, they're they, young. they got yeah. hit by the transfer portal, so they've got, they've got an eighth-year tight end who's been all over the place in, in his college career, but there are so many freshmen and sophomores. They're starting quarterbacks as sophomore, but he, um, and started seven games last year, but again, he's... He's a sophomore. They just lost a lot yeah. of their their seniority to the transfer portal. A lot of it, the, the big ones going to Minnesota. John Steppy, he was on our Eye on the Hawks airing Thursday night at 6.30 on Fox 28. Five o'clock, there's baseball on. Yeah. What week. is it? Five o'clock? Yeah, this week, Son there's, there's MLB on. Yeah, Fox. <laughs> Good to it's know. screwing up the schedule. <laughs> okay, five o'clock. Watch it. Got a um, lot of moving pieces here. <laughs> so uh, John was saying he was like, when I was putting together the schedule, kind of ranking their list of opponents, he was like, I definitely would put Western Michigan as 12 out of 12 teams that they play that they're at the bottom there. It's tough. You know, a, a new coach, the transfer portal, I, you know, as much as we've seen, particularly in Boulder, just how much the transfer portal can help a team <laughs> year to year. Yeah. Boy, if you're on the other end of the stick, uh, you can you can really get in the muck really quickly. And uh, again, Western Michigan, seven years removed now from winning the MAC, running the table, going to a Cotton Bowl where they played neck and neck with Wisconsin after, uh, after Badgers got out to a big league. It's just so things can change so quickly if there's not steadiness and consistency and whatnot. It's, so it's, it's a tough, tough spot in Kalamazoo. I mean, as much as I always preach how big, like, I mean, coaching at the high school level is everything. If you get a great coach, you're going to have a great team year in and year out. And the college level, I feel like it's, it's maybe not quite the same, but it's similar in a lot of ways. And Western Michigan is a prime example, as is Jackson State, where it's like you've got a great coach and they get you to the point where you are nationally recognized, getting a lot of national attention. You're a great team that, yeah, goes to a, you said, what, the Cotton Bowl that Western Michigan? Yeah, in 2016, yeah. Fleck was there. Uh, I mean, Deion Sanders had Jackson State playing great, but it's like as soon as those coaches leave, it's just like you're, you're – Toast again. Jackson it's, State's it's, been it's terrible tough. this year, and Western Michigan has been nowhere even near a semblance of what they were when PJ was there. Yeah, one at home in their opener against St. Francis, and then again went to Syracuse last week, scored in the second play of the game, a 75-yard touchdown run, and then gave up 45 unanswered before halftime, gave up another one in that loss to the Orange. And just I, I just keep going back because I don't I hate saying they're just bad. Like they're a young team. I that 2013 team that came to Iowa City, that one win Iowa has against Western Michigan, that was a young team too, 59 to three, and everything thing went Iowa's way that day in 2013. But a lot of those guys that got in, Corey Davis, who ended up being the all-time leading receiver in the NCAA, he was a freshman on that team. Mm. Zach Terrell, who went and won the Whirlpool Award and holds every Western Michigan passing record, he was a freshman that really got his first game action there. So this is a Western Michigan team that could be pretty darn good down the road, but they Chances are, and we'll get to our predictions, maybe you're already uh, figuring out what we're going to say at the end, but this is a team that's going to have to take some lumps. Lance Taylor is a first-time head coach. He's going to have to take some lumps as well. One of the lumps that we haven't had to see, uh, I guess we should jump into this too because Mike spent a lot of time on this, uh, just (laughs) what the MAC has done against Iowa. Again, Western with those two wins in 2000 and 2007, the one loss to Iowa coming in 2013. Central Michigan, folks, uh, 
watched the Chippewas come into Kinnick in 2012 and, and knock them off on a field goal there. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Ball State, Kent State, we've seen them a few times. Miami, Ohio has been a, a popular one the last couple of years as a, an opener for Iowa as well. A couple of, couple of those losses for Miami came with Roethlisberger at uh, quarterback. I, Iowa played two games against Roethlisberger, I think. They once played once, once in Oxford, too. Yeah. A yeah. uh, road game. Yeah. Before we get on the defense, though, I did want to ask about the offense. And we're talking about how young this Western Michigan team is, probably one of the weaker teams. What do you guys think, scoring output, passing and rushing yards output, like what kind of level do you hit this weekend where Hawkeye fans are thinking, okay, I'm satisfied because. I think you got to break 30. I mean, again, the fan fans thought they were going to be averaging 35 a game coming out the gates. That hasn't happened, or at least that was their hope. Um, for those who are worried about contractual numbers, if they were to score 31 in this game, they would be equaling a number that is down in paper of a number that's supposed to be hit. Um, yeah, I, I think at least four offensive touchdowns. Yeah, You've got four through the first two games. You had three in the opener, one against Iowa State. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. It, I mean, it's not going to be two, 2013 where you got two punt returns and two pick sixes because um, those, <laughs> those games don't grow on trees. But I, I think <laughs> you you need to – four would be the number for me, four offensive touchdowns. That would be encouraging to see. I, I know like there's two different – ways to look at this Iowa offense. It's comparing it to last year's offense, which was one of the worst in the country. I'm comparing it to just a Big Ten team or the average in general. Sure. And right now, I think we all can agree that this offense is better than last year's team offense. It can actually score points and actually move the ball. But when you look at it across the board, on average, you know, scoring offense 104 in the country, total offense 126, which is pretty low, and that's about yardage. Mm -hmm. We know Iowa gets turnovers, which we haven't this year, actually, but uh, a lot of turnovers, I should say. Um, passing offense, 116. Rushing offense, 110. And I put a little grain of salt with those numbers because I don't think they need to be in the top 20, 30, even 40 yeah. for Iowa to have a really good football team just because their defense. But just comparing it to the rest of the country, that's kind of where we're sitting right now. Um, so it would be nice on a team like Western Michigan to see some offensive touchdowns and, and you know, a lot of yardage from my point of view. Yeah, yards per game, both Iowa and Iowa State are in the bottom 10 in the nation right now. That's yeah. <laughs> I know Western's got a decent uh, rush defense. I think their pass offense is a little susceptible. Score, they give up, I think, 32.5 points a game through two games. Uh, again, gave up, do math, whatever it was, 48, I believe, to to Syracuse and mm -hmm. gave up, I think, even 28 in that win over St. Francis. So I'd, uh, I'd almost, chances. to answer your question, Mike, I'd almost go so far as to say that they might even need to score at least three in the first half for Hawkeyes to be satisfied. Like, for them to just do two touchdowns over the first two quarters of that game, I feel like would leave fans like, come on, like, we can't even do yeah. more than that against Western Michigan. I think at least three in the first half would need to happen for them to feel a little bit satisfied. I think even just hitting one of those big plays, again, just – not leaving as much food on the, on the plate, so to speak. If you can hit one of those big ones, ideally two of them, and really show that, hey, things are back in rhythm, we're, we're doing what we're supposed to do against a team like this, I think uh, that would be, that'd be big for morale mm -hmm. outside, outside of the football 100%. complex. So yeah. we'll see what happens there. But, of course, the defense continues to do their thing. Uh, Jamari Harris is back this week. Uh, missed the last couple of games. Uh, is coming back in. Kudos to Deshaun Lee, who was fantastic as a redshirt freshman stepping in. Uh, gave up a touchdown against Iowa State. There was a big height differential there. I mean, that's just a tough matchup. Other than that, he was 
spectacular. Hopefully he'll get a chance to shine on, on special teams here. But Jamari is back again, going back to the end of 2021. Tough press to find anybody who was playing better on that defense, and that is certainly saying something for the Hawkeyes. Kirk and company, very excited to see Jamari Harris stepping back in the starting lineup. He's happy, you know, he's happy to be back. Um, you can tell football means the world to him. So obviously when he's gotten that opportunity back, he's just did nothing but run with it. We're just really excited to have him back. I mean, he's just a tremendous football player and an even better person. So I'm just really excited to have him on the field and um, for his leadership to be out there too. He's an experienced vet. He's had a great fall camp. And just every single day, like having that and having that depth at that position too is big too. So I think that that's like, that's great. I mean, I mean, I'm really excited to have him back. Uh, it'll be my first time being able to play with him, so I'm excited. But yeah, he's he's been really active. He's been great. Uh, he's had a great camp, and uh, basically he he's been with our team. Just you know, was with us Saturday. Just didn't play the last two weeks, so he's fully engaged, ready to roll, and uh, be good to get him back. Uh, the fun part, you know, talk about the human side of things. Just to watch the growth that we've seen with him over the the you know his career. It's just been unbelievable and. Last year, two years, I guess it's now uh, been at least two years now. He's really developed into not only a good player, but a really strong leader on our team. And he's taking a lot of ownership and talking about, you know, mentoring young guys. He's, he's really been active, you know, helping younger guys try to get better. Had at least two young guys, Deshaun Lee and, and Cooper DeGene at Media Day. Um, unprompted bring up the fact that Jamari has been so instrumental in how they watch film and how they dissect things. And, and again, a guy who on the sideline all of 2022. That's a super lonely place just trying to, I heard back from Kate of just trying to get your body to move the way it used to for him to be coming back and not just fully focused on himself, but what can I do to help these younger players really grow and step up and, and to hear Kirk mention that as well. I, Jamari spent too much time on the sidelines. Yeah. I, I think he's a guy you, again, he's not going to go BJ Lowry 2013, two pick sixes against the Broncos, I don't think, but I think what a cool moment that would be for him to have a big hit or an interception right away and really make an impact and, and fully make a statement of, I'm back and it's about damn time. January 1st, 2022 was his last game that yeah. he played for Iowa. Um, I think it was one of the players, I forget even who it was I was talking to that said that they've just told Jamari like, Hey man, you just got like two extra bonus like warm up weeks. Like we've sure. gone out there and gotten a little bit uh, bruised up and roughed up by Iowa State to a certain extent. Like you know we we were recovering a little bit, but you're like totally fresh and you're yeah. you're ready to go now. So I think he's going to come out there with with a full head of steam. I think he's super excited to be back too. Just talking to him at, at media day and and hearing about him sitting back and I'm sure as he's mentored those younger guys, he's taken a little time to to really sink in his film study too. And yeah, I. I Boy, I, I just hope he he can really bust out. I'm glad he's getting a Western Michigan game as his first game back because sure. it would have been really tough coming in yeah. to Big Ten play, starting having played in, in a full year just like Cade, you know? Yeah. There's going to be some rust. There's going to be some cobwebs, and, and hopefully this game will, will help him get back to up to where he was because he was playing really well at the end of that year. Mm -hmm. It's a good, uh, good way to get ready for Penn State coming up next week, certainly. So Jamari Harris is back. Noah Shannon is not. Kirk Ferentz announcing yesterday, and we'll get a, a statement from Noah as well, that NCAA has denied his appeal for that season-long suspension related to the gambling probe. Again, uh, he came out and, and said that he had made a bet and, and was going to be going through some sort of punishment. It's been uh, revealed that it was on a, an UI athletic event that was not uh, football, which does go to a season-long suspension. They tried to appeal. Uh, was denied, so Noah Shannon's Hawkeye career is over. 
let's hear from Kirk Ferentz and a, a certainly disappointed head coach who knows it's the end of the road for a really good player and a really good person in the program. Um, I'm not quite sure what into what in, what went into the decision, uh, but what I can tell you is that Noah is just a tremendous young man. Has been uh, came back for his sixth year and just a highly respected leader in our locker room and certainly with our coaching staff. So I uh, feel very, very unfortunate. And our goal is to keep him with the program, uh, keep him close, have him remain as a part of the team. Obviously, he can't play, but uh, uh, he's, he's run a heck of a race, and we're just uh, really disappointed with this whole thing. Uh, he's been honest throughout this whole process, very transparent. And, uh, you know, think about as honest as he could be. Yeah, and one thing I do want to emphasize, he did not break any laws at all. Uh, my wife made that point a couple of weeks ago, just an emphasis, and he is guilty of an NCAA violation. Uh, he was very up, upfront about that, and um, so, you know, that is that. But uh, basically, I don't agree with or understand, quite frankly, the decision, uh, especially when it comes to the severity of the punishment. And uh, to me, that's, that's really disappointing, especially considering our, our current environment right now, uh, which, you know, believe me, the last couple of months, I'm a lot more in tune to than I had been, certainly. And probably the most disappointing thing, I think the uh, panel that heard the appeal had an opportunity to really do something, uh, you know, make a decision that to me would reflect uh, reason and also reflect uh, the changing environment. And, um, you know, they failed to do so. In the amount of time since, oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. We've got the Shanoa Shannon. Sure, yeah. So to. here's Noah's statement that was released. I think right around the time Kirk was making these these statements, he just says Noah does. I want to apologize to the fans and everyone who supports Iowa football. I made a mistake, and I have taken responsibility for it. I am heartbroken that I will not be able to play alongside my brothers again. But I plan to stick with the team and support them in any way that I can going forward. I want to say thank you to my family, Coach Ferens, the coaching staff, all of my teammates and friends for their unwavering support. I'm going to make sure that this mistake does not define me or my career going forward. Let's just lay it out there. This stinks. This stinks for a kid that we've, again, a kid, adult by age, but really just a young man who we've yeah. heard so many good things about. And again, one mistake, one NCAA violation, and uh, uh, six years gone. Yeah. Um, it, it has similar vibes, even though it's a different scenario totally. It has, I, I, my heart goes out in a similar way to Aaron Rodgers, like it, it just in terms of a lot of hype, a lot of buildup, a lot of people were looking forward to Noah Shannon in, in his last year as a Hawkeye, um, potentially might have been one of the captains on this year's team with how much he was respected and how long he'd been around. And, you know, his, his last year is over before it begins, similar to what Aaron Rodgers is going through. The parallel I've seen some people draw, and it's a different scenario because Drew Ott was just really banged up, but that was another NCAA decision to not give Drew Ott an extra year that, that Kirk really mm. was not happy about that. Because, again, Drew Ott was a, a key part early of, of that 2015 Rose Bowl squad and then just got hurt. And I think still went, went back into a game when he was still hurt, didn't know the severity of it, but um, just another one of those situations where it's just, uh, again, as Kirk pointed out, there was no crime committed. It was an NCAA violation, and now the big discussion is, does this punishment fit the violation? And I know we don't, I don't know. officially know, you know what he bet on. We know it was an Iowa team, not the football team. He got caught up in the emotion of something, so yeah. he jumped to conclusion. There's a lot of rumors. I'm not going to say them, but a full-year suspension for not betting on the team you play on is, you know, unless he knew, and obviously we don't know what happened, 
I, I just have a hard time believing that a full a twelve game suspension is is fully warranted in a situation like this. When especially if the money amount wasn't you know sky high, we actually don't know yeah. that either. But it sounds like he made one bet, so I, I'm doubting it's 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 huge, you know. Uh, but I, I was wondering if Kirk was just expecting like a six game suspension, like yeah. bump down, which you know I'm not. Again, we don't know the exact details, but. It does seem a little extreme. I don't think there's any way this isn't just kind of meant to be a, a precedent setter that the NCAA wants to make an example of him, even though they they might not think that he deserves it, but they just want to make an example and show that they're serious about this. I was curious to ask you guys, in, in the time since this has elapsed, the last 24 hours or so, what your, if you could give a percentage of like, you know, either just online, message board, Twitter, reaction to it, how much is people that are like, man, that's really unfair versus like, yep, that was the right decision. I'm glad that the NCAA made that call. I feel like it's been like, this is a ballpark, like one out of every 10 comments is like, well, that was the rule, should have followed it. Yeah. And it's just very like straight-laced where I, like everything else in the world nowadays, and Kirk, again, continues to talk about just, it's in their faces, this is the world we live in. You have to understand the nuance and scenario and variables out there that... Losing a year because you pushed a button on your phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's really, you boil it down to something like that, and that's the parallel I keep drawing of just like you order your dinner on your phone, and then the next one you can <laughs> place a bet that could compromise your entire NCAA eligibility. It's just, it's such a tough spot. And I think to your point as well, somebody had to be the example. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Noah Shannon and Hunter Deckers is another name that comes up, and those guys at, at Iowa State, those those now are served up to every other team in the NCAA, like, hey, here's what can happen. Mm-hmm. Look what these guys did or are accused of doing. And Yeah, but I, I feel like the majority of people online have been like, "That's something's not matching up here, but then you have every once in a while just like, right. that was the rule. And yeah, and if, I, if you want to go to the line, yeah, it was the rule and shouldn't have done it. But uh, again, a lot of lot of discussion still. Yeah, I, I feel like most of the people that I see that are, you know, like, yep, that was a rule. Sorry about you, bud, are, you know, probably Iowa State fans or somebody who has, you know, a beef with Iowa to some degree or another. That's at least what I'm seeing. Um, and and maybe that's... Uh, Are you accusing people on the internet of trolling? <laughs> I haven't and, seen too many of that, to be honest. Really? I've seen everyone being like, this is, this is dumb. To the same degree, it's probably it's like mostly UNC Iowa kid. fans out there that are sticking up for me to be like, oh, that's not fair. So there's definitely bias all around. So it'd be... So there's, you know, you could look at it both ways. But yeah, even, even as somebody who's, um, you know a media personality, not a TV person, but somebody who works in the media that was like, yep, this was the right decision by the NCAA. He broke the rule and, and he's compromising the integrity of the sport and um, he needs to he needs to serve that suspension. I'm glad it got upheld and I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> like, I, mean, I, think- I mean, at the end of the day, if you're... If your world is 100% black and white, then yes, he broke the rule and they made the suspension and that's that. But, you know, what they had a chance to look at the character of this kid that has not had any other to my knowledge, any other legal issues or any other infractions against him, and maybe he said, like, maybe six games, maybe even nine games. You know, he can play the last few games of the year or something. Yeah, just, uh, it's tough, but Glass half full, he's going to be with the program in some capacity. And now, again, he came back for that sixth year, had an opportunity to leave for the league last year. Well, now he gets a, a few more months of, of prep for the combine or pro days or whatever he needs to. And, uh, boy, if... Noah Shannon continues to be the player that we did see before all this happened. Uh, he, he's going to get into an NFL camp, and he'll he'll hopefully do something well. Uh, of course, the defensive line, not going to be the same without Noah Shannon, but it's always next man in in Iowa City, and there's been a few people that we've 
Scene plug in there, Aaron Graves, YA Black, uh, Jeremiah Pittman has have stepped into the interior. Ethan Herkett is a kid on the exterior, one of the DNs, a little bit of linebacker, hybrid. What a moment for him on Saturday in the Cyhawk game. The kid from Cedar Rapids, Xavier, making the fourth down stop to seal the Cyhawk win for the Hawkeyes. And talked to Joe Evans and Jay Higgins on Tuesday about him and his journey three or two years ago this week, third game of the season in 2021. He got hurt against Kent State, ended up missing the rest of his redshirt freshman year. He was all get, already getting a little in. So a big moment for a guy that has a ton of respect from his teammates. And in the case of Joe Evans, was just absolutely giddy to see what he did on Saturday. He is one of the hardest workers I've ever been around. And for him to make that play, I was, I was, gosh, dude, I was so pumped up for him. Um, we hang out a lot, me and her could do. And just to see that play and him being able to, uh, we watched on the film, like he's running at the, you know, at the crowd. That's something that uh, I love, and I was just so happy for him because you should see, you know, what he's doing in practice and how hard he works. A common quote from Coach Wallace is, "Everybody needs to practice like Herkut." Um, and what's crazy is, I think last week was his hard, like the hardest he's been practicing, his best practice. So when that play happened, I don't think anybody uh, defensively was surprised. Uh, it, it just made sense. Uh, you just got a guy who's just who just comes to work every day, and I just feel like our team is full of guys who just come to work every day. The kid, I don't know, like just boss the wall all the time. Um, I mean, he is just given a hundred hundred percent effort every single play, and that's something that's really gonna you know push him forward. And honestly, in whatever he does, you know. I think that he can um, go to the league. That's just me. I'll say that about any player here because um, I just that's what I think. And uh, but in any aspect of life, that's going to take him far. One of my favorite things about talking to to players again. Been a while since I've I've been on the media beat. Seeing them get excited about what one of their teammates did, and for Joe Evans to be again, Joe Evans. This was his game, so to speak, you know, the, the swarm held back. So the Ames native could go take the Cyhawk back in Ames for his Hawkeyes, for him to be that excited about number 49, what he did, and you see Ethan celebrating there. Mm -hmm. That's just such a cool moment. And then to hear that Seth Wallace points to his linebacking core and say, hey, you see 49, do what he's doing there. And talked with, with Coach Wallace a little bit over Zoom uh, for availability earlier today. And he echoed the same thing of just, that's a kid that just comes in and, and does it the, the quote unquote right way every day. And so just a cool moment for a, an Eastern Iowa kid to have a big play in the Cyhawk game. But again, uh, you know, just a nice little, Nice little way to wrap up our, our time on the pod here before we get into picks of just like what a cool moment that was. And again, it's so much talk about the offense and, you know, so much focus, uh, deservedly so, on Joe Evans having a, a big day at home in his Cyhawk Cy finale. But Ethan Herrick at a kid who was banged up and has had to work his way back. And now Joe's talking about him having a chance to play on Sunday. It's just a super cool thing to see. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I haven't seen him enough to know if he's got a chance to play on Sundays, but um, that's, that's kind of the the effort that I think that we could expect out of a guy who's played under Dwayne Schulte, honestly. I mean, he's a guy who raised up kids well, along with all the assistants there. Xavier, of course, too. Tom Lilly playing a part in that uh, Jim O'Connell, folks. Jim O'Connell, <laughs> who's the Phil Parker to, to Dwayne Schulte, so to speak. Uh, just been a defensive coordinator for them for a long time. Uh, coaches those guys up. And yeah, and, and Wallace even said that. He's, you know, listed off 
Quinn Schulte, of course, starting safety. And then Jackson Rexroth, who's a former quarterback at Xavier, turned linebacker for Iowa. He just said, those guys come into Iowa City, and because I think just familiarity with the program, only being 30 miles away, we know their learning curve is a little short. Like, we, we have expectations for those kids, uh, and Ethan Herkett certainly starting to live up to some expectations and it's all the sounds is uh, that he's continuing to raise expectations for the way he practices as well. One thing I was going to add is that um, as we were talking to um, John Steppy today, he, he said that he thought the deepest part of this team, at least defensively, was the defensive line. Um, and a guy like Herkut is definitely um, contributing to that as well. Even, even with Noah Shannon um, being taken out of the equation, Herkut is, is filling in well and they just have a wealth of talent there on the D-line. And that D-line will go up against Western Michigan and the Broncos come Saturday. Let's get into our picks. We've already taken a few glances at Western Michigan, told you a little bit about what to expect. So uh, let's go through our Big Ten West scenarios here. And uh, we'll start with the top one, uh, a big one for the Illini coming off that big loss at Kansas, Illinois, hosting Penn State, seventh-ranked team in the country, 14.5-point favorites are the Nittany Lions in Champaign. We'll start with you, Mike. Yeah, I am done. I told you on Sunday, I'm hopping off the Illini bandwagon. So uh, I think Penn State is just too good. Um, Drew Aller is, or Ayler, however you say his name, is just yeah. amazing. They've, they've, I think they're going to be a contender for the Big Ten East. And so I'm going Penn State. Uh, I, yeah, that, that is a bit of a tough line for me, the 14 and a half. Um, Nicholas Singleton, four rushing touchdowns this year, ready for Penn State. That's really good. Um, They've looked good, and Illinois has looked so subpar over their first two games. Um, I've got to think that Penn State will cover that line. Yeah, I think I'll pick the Nittany Lions to cover. It makes sense, and I, I had Penn State as my my team to win the East in the preseason. This is such a gut check game for Illinois, and I think Bielema and company hmm. stand their ground. I don't know if they win this game. I I don't think they win this game, but I think they can cover fourteen and a half. So I'll take mm-hmm. Illinois plus fourteen and a half. Uh, I don't think they're going to go to nine overtimes or whatever it was uh, last time they met up there in Champaign. But I, Luke Altmaier has looked good enough that I think he can hang with a few punches that uh, Aller and that offense put up. But I, I think I, I think they can cover that spread, and I think Illinois at least shows why they are still uh, held in some some regard in the West. I think they can hold court a little bit and cover. Alrighty. All right, move on to. Wisconsin coming home after a road loss that we all uh, we all called last week, having Wazoo cover the six and a half. They are back home in Madison, hosting Georgia Southern. Wisconsin, a nineteen point favorite against Georgia Southern. I'll go first again. I think Wisconsin bounces back. They get a easier team on the schedule than uh, going on to Wazoo. So even though it's nineteen points, um, I guess I'm going to be riding a lot of big spreads this week. But I'll take Wisconsin. Yeah. I guess I am thinking that 19 points is a lot for me against a Georgia Southern team that's looked pretty decent against a couple of, I mean, it's the, points, man. the Citadel. I mean, I guess I don't know what to think about them. A 34 to nothing win, 49-35, they beat UAB. Uh, back there at QB, they got, they got your boy Davis Brin thrown for four touchdowns, 562 <laughs> yards this year, a couple of 100-yard rushing uh, running backs. I don't think that Georgia Southern wins this game, but I think they uh, keep it within 19. Former head coach of USC, Clay Helton, also leading the Eagles there. 19's a big spread. Um, I, I think Wisconsin bounces back, too. I wonder if they win this thing by, like, 17, though. Um, that Georgia Southern team can put up points. So I'm going to take, take the Eagles to cover. 
Wouldn't be shocked if Mike's the only one that gets this one right. I could see, <laughs> I could see Wisconsin because again, Mordecai made a couple eyeball mm-hmm. bulging throws uh, in Pullman. Uh, Cam Ward just kind of outdueled him there, but uh, I'll take Georgia Southern to cover. But I wouldn't be surprised if if Wisconsin pulls off like. 45 to 10 or something like that. We'll, yeah. we'll see. Minnesota, after two games at home to open, they hit the road to go to Chapel Hill, taking on Drake May and North Carolina, 20th ranked team in the country. Gophers are a touchdown dog heading to NC. This uh, one's probably the best Big Ten West game, I think, just from a non-con uh, standpoint. Um, Syracuse-Purdue, you can make the argument. Yeah. It's that Syracuse team that just played Western Michigan. Um, I think Minnesota's got a good defense. We'll see Drake May, though, is a you know, Heisman, considered a Heisman uh, favorite, top 10 or whatever. Um, and UNC just had a tough game against um, App State, where it's a little closer than, than you'd think after blowing the doors off South Carolina week one. I still think North Carolina just, again, I, I think Big Ten teams, when they travel on the road, it's a little less. It's tough for sure. It's a tough environment. So I'll take North Carolina to cover that spread. Marion Hampton is kind of uh, outside of Drake May has been great for UNC, averaging 135 yards a game. He scored five rushing touchdowns this year. Um, this is a tricky one, but I I don't know. I think North Carolina wins. I guess I would say I think Minnesota is going to going to keep it keep it closer than seven. I think Gophers keep it close too, so I'll take Gophers plus the seven. Darius Taylor showed out against Eastern Michigan uh, between him and Sean Tyler, the former Western Michigan running back that transferred there. Uh, they've, they've got their running, the running game back, that thing that they couldn't really do against Nebraska. Nebraska's got that defense is really good and just kind of ran out of gas against Colorado. But I think that defense can keep May in check. I don't know if Minnesota can win outright, but I think they can keep it within a field goal, maybe win by a field goal. But between that running game starting to, to get its legs and, and Kaliak Manis, we know the Army has and the weapons he's got around there. Uh, Minnesota can go to Chapel Hill and, and, and maybe come out 3-0. We'll see. It'll, it'll be a heck of a game there between mm-hmm. two really good teams. Moving then to uh, another part of North Carolina, Duke, tw- 21st in the country. Of course, a uh, big upset over Clemson earlier this year. They are hosting Northwestern. Wildcats coming off their first win of the season against UTEP. 18.5-point dogs on the road in Durham. Uh, Duke has only allowed seven points in each game. I mean, their defenses look great. Yeah. Um, they've got already got three 100-yard rushers this year. Um, Riley Leonard, their quarterback's one of them. Uh, yeah, I'd take I'd take Duke to just destroy Northwestern. I think, Michael. Um, you know, I think I'm just looking at it, and I was probably going to pick every favorite. It, it look looking that way, uh, but I don't think Northwestern can hang with Duke. Duke. Um, I watched that Clemson game week one, and Riley Leonard is definitely a dual threat. He's he's a really good underrated quarterback in the ACC, and yeah, I got Duke on this one. Again, I. I'm just going to keep taking teams to cover, road teams to cover. I, I'm going to keep putting faith in this Northwestern squad. Uh, they looked really good against the, a UTEP team that might be a little down from where they were last year. They were a, a pretty solid group of five team, but 18 and a half is a, a big spread. I think even if they, they can keep it within 17. Uh, again, Northwestern is not, not going to be great this year, but I, uh, I liked enough of what I saw in Evanston last week, so I'll take the Wildcats to cover plus 18 and a half. Northern Illinois, an 11-point dog heading to Lincoln to take on Nebraska. Again, Nebraska coming off back-to-back losses at Minnesota and at Colorado. Really felt like they just ran out of time against the Buffs, at least in a sense of just too many turnovers, getting thrown out on the field, and, and 
really Colorado piled on in the back portion of that game. Otherwise, Nebraska was in it. I think that defense is really, really good. Um, so, Mike, I'll have you start off again. Yeah. Um, well, you just want to go last every time, don't you? I'm catching on. <laughs> I'm going I'm to take Nebraska to cover. <laughs> even, even against uh, Rocky Lombardi, whose dad, of course, was a head coach at Wash back in the day, and he's a Valley grad. Um, good to see him back and, and healthy. I know he's been banged up uh, there in DeKalb. But Nebraska, I, I think maybe this is a game where Sims protects the ball. Again, if, if he's not turned the ball over, he's electric. And I think Nebraska getting home for the first time in 23 I think they hold court and, and really get a, a definitive win that shows, okay, when, when they play a clean game, they're they're dangerous. This we, one is tough for me. I, I watched that Colorado-Nebraska game, and their defense did look really good in the first half. And Colorado did, you know, they were in the fourth quarter, and I think a lot of Hawkeye fans were like, let's get this game going so we're not <laughs> delayed. And mm-hmm. they were still throwing the ball with their second-string quarterback. <laughs> um, but can Sims protect the ball? Is that that's the so, question? You know, Eleven is a lot for this team that's zero two. Um, you know what? I'm just going to go Northern Illinois. I think Nebraska is going to win by ten. Hmm. Wow, that works. Um, week one, they had a. Uh, I think it was Max Preps that put out a map of each each state in the country and um, the starting quarterbacks in Division one football that are from each state at the FBS level. I should say, um, Iowa had one. And that is, of course, Rocky Lombardi, Rocky Lombardi over at uh, Northern Illinois. Cam Miller Colorado. repping for Solon at uh, North Dakota State. Yep. There's, at least, there's at least two out there. Yep, yep. Um, but, yeah, Northern Illinois stinks. Uh, they're terrible. Um, they lost to <laughs> Southern Illinois uh, 14-11. They only beat Boston College by three. This team stinks. Northern Illinois is real bad. They're, just, um, no, they're human beings. <laughs> Nebraska is – it would amuse me – to no end to see Nebraska lose this game. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see it happen, but no, they're going to they're gonna beat them by, I'd say, 25 or so. Nice, yeah. Syracuse, again, a team coming off a big win over these Western Michigan Broncos. Going to West Lafayette to take on Purdue. Syracuse, a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I can start with this one. I, I, I'm going to pick Syracuse. I think they're a lot better than Purdue. I don't, I don't think Virginia Tech is as good as they usually are. So that win last week doesn't do much for me. It's a road win, though. It's a road win, yeah, going to Blacksburg. Um, Not to show my hand. <laughs> no. But um, two and a half win by a field goal, yeah. I think Syracuse does that. This, Yeah, this was the hardest one for me to pick. I can't hardly make heads or tails of either program yet. Syracuse is beat up on some uh, lower-tier teams. Purdue, yeah, I don't know what to make of their opponents, so win at Vatek is nice. Um they lost to Fresno State. Who knows if they're going to be any good or not. Um, I guess I would lean just with the home team. I think I'll take Purdue in this one. Check on Fresno State since... Uh, that they're 2-0. They beat uh, Eastern Washington, a, um, a FCS team, last week. In so. overtime, yeah. So. Washington's a tough team. Um, I'm going to take Purdue to cover, plus 2.5. Again, Hudson Card's a really good quarterback. Tyrone Tracy's had a couple of really nice plays yeah. for... Scored touchdown um, week one, right? Had a kick return, kick return, or right? Something like that. I mean, he's he's what they're using him mostly at running back now, which he seems immensely comfortable in. Obviously, we saw him. Good to see him show out well, against though. what. Yeah, it's really cool to see him get uh, get his touches and you know just another guy to worry about coming to Iowa City uh, for homecoming uh, first weekend in October, and now we turn to Iowa City, Iowa, back in the rankings, twenty fifth in the country, hosting Western Michigan, the Hawkeyes are a 28-and-a-half-point favorite, having not scored 28 points at any point in this season. <laughs> what are our thoughts as we wrap up? 
This is a really big spread. That's a big and spread. There's been a lot of Hawkeye openers in the past where I've bet on Iowa to cover <laughs> around 28 to 30 points, and I'm just sitting there waiting and like sweating. <laughs> does it happen? Sometimes it does. Yeah. I think in this case, I think Iowa will cover. I think they'll score 35, 40 points, and I think the defense holds. And the only thing that could challenge that spread is if the second teamers, you know, in the fourth quarter let a late touchdown in. But I'll, I'll pick Iowa. I think that, yeah, I mean, I'm going to take Iowa in this one, too. Um, I just have a hard time seeing Western Michigan score a touchdown against Iowa, even if they put in their subs in the second half. I just don't see them scoring seven points against them. Um, I could see them getting a field goal or two, maybe. But, um, yeah, and I think that Iowa scores at least one defensive touchdown this week as well. Um, And so I think that's going to be... And that's going to be, I think, a talking point after this week. Like, oh, well, we got to 25 points, but it was because of the defense. Um, so, but long story short, I like Iowa. Yeah, I, I think Iowa can cover that too. Again, that's a massive spread. Who, who would have thought we'd be picking Iowa to cover 20 <laughs> points? But this, there's too many things working in the right direction. Cade's healthy. They're so close on a lot of things. We've already seen improvements. Um, you know, I wonder if it'll be the opposite, though, if this will be maybe a little slower of a start. Maybe they have like a three and out to, to open. There's not a big play. And then mm. people are like, oh, what's going on? And then, Could you Because, know, be. again, Western's going to throw a lot at, at them uh, with looks and blitzes and whatnot. So we'll see. But I, I think 34 to 3, something like that, that's it's something they can. And I would be close. 34 yeah. 3 would be closer on that spread. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think they're going to beat them by 40. I, yeah. I think they'll beat them. Yeah. I, do you, I went 0-6 the first week for a reason. Like, this could all blow up. In our I'm kind of curious as we make these picks. I mean, these are just like in my head. Do you actually put money on all these games that were? Not all of Answer them. Answer the question, okay. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will toot my own horn. I got a parlay last week in college football. There you go. Uh, let's see. I had the under on the Colorado game, which hit. I was like, Nebraska's defense is going to hold. And then when I was sitting there, it was 0-0. I was like, yes, let's go. Uh, Wazoo plus 6.5. Mm. Um, and the other games are escaping me right now. Iowa one? I didn't put Iowa on that, no. Okay. All right, we'll have more on Mike's betting habits and everything <laughs> else coming up on Sunday. Of course, we'll have that live stream reaction on YouTube uh, starting at noon. Again, get in the comments, ask us questions, share your thoughts on whatever comes out of the Hawkeyes and Broncos, but certainly excited to get back to Kinnick Stadium. It's going to be non-sunburn weather. Imagine that. We actually get to play in a little bit of fall weather there so we'll recap everything for you sunday at noon thanks to everybody who's been watching subscribing downloading and following across all the platforms for mitch for mike and owen i'm mitch i think we'll see you sunday on the hawks